we just prayed, a spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. You thought we were singing. We were praying. That's a, that's a prayer expressed in song. Many of our songs are like that. And that, 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 that's appropriate as we approach God's word this morning. That, that for me, as well as for you, spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Lord, open your word to us. Show us yourself here. Father, help me as I speak. Help each of us as we hear that we might indeed be strengthened by and in your spirit, that we might be strengthened for next steps that you would have us to take in the ministry that you've given each one of us. Uh, Lord, show us yourself from your word this morning that seeing you would change us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Our time in India with Ray of Hope Ministry was, was again encouraging. We saw more than we thought we would see. It's, it's one of those things you don't know fully ahead of time why you're going and it begins to unfold while you're there. Uh, Ray of Hope Ministry and so Brush Prairie through Ray of Hope has been involved in, in different aspects of strengthening the church in India. If I could say one thing in a nutshell, it would be that, we're, that, that, that the Ray of Hope exists and our partnership with the Ray of Hope Ministry is, is to be involved in strengthening the church in this particular corner of India, in the Karnataka province, in the, in the region or district of Bidar, and uh, stretching off also into another state now and, in, and uh, another area where we're also conducting training. That in the past has, has involved a lot of building buildings. It's uh, been involved in uh, um, things that you can look at and see and, and helping with projects. And the Ray of Hope ministry out of that has, has a good reputation. That in that area around Indi uh, 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 of India, around Beter, Ray of Hope is well known. They're, they're, they are looked up to. And that's a good thing. It's good that especially in a place where Christians are a minority that um, what they're doing is well thought of, not only in those immediate church circles where they've helped, but even in a wider circle, because they seek to help others in tangible and real ways also. It's good that they're well thought of, but there's a danger. In building buildings, and in maybe building up reputation, as we're building buildings or helping churches finish a, a, a church building, those kind of things, there's also a, a building up of reputations. But the, the danger always in things like that is it can, in a sense, go to our heads. It can go to our flesh, where there's, there's an appreciation of the reputation. And we even can begin to like to be somebody one of the things that I always have difficulty with when we travel to India is the honoring. And that because we are guests, 
And uh, as Westerners, we stand out in the crowd. This area of India that we visit doesn't get a lot of Western guests at all, people traveling for business or any purpose. So we're quite unique. We're noticed and we stand out. And at first it really threw me, and I realized they do this a lot just for themselves. It's a very significant part of the culture. And so I'm making too much of it in my own head. But there will be, when you have a, a guest that you want to welcome, you want to honor the way that you do that is you might put a shawl over their shoulders, and then you have this flower garland that you drape over their neck. And uh, it seemed uh, uh, honoring in ways that I didn't want to be honored. I wanted our presence there to honor the Lord rather than us. And uh, yet it's, it's actually, it's the way that the church in a culturally appropriate way, in a way that the whole culture shares, it's a way that they are, in effect, greeting one another with a holy kiss. And so considering the alternative, a whole bunch of strange people kissing me, I thought, okay, I'll take the garland and the shawl. That'll be all right. But, but there's something that, that cautions me about recognition from others. And I think that may be a healthy thing. Be careful of how much we think of what other people think of us. We're talking in in the book of 2 Corinthians about authentic discipleship. And as we come to chapter 3, there's a focus that authentic discipleship is both in us and through us by God's Spirit. And it involves what the Spirit of the living God does in us as well as through us into the lives of others. So from what he does in our lives into the lives of others. That's an essential when we think about authentic discipleship. What's real in terms of discipleship? It's not necessarily making a name for ourselves, and it's not based on titles and credentials, but it's what God does in us as well as through us. I'm often, as a pastor, I'm asked to give a recommendation. Maybe somebody's applying for a particular school. Maybe they're applying for a job. And especially if it's a ministry position somewhere, then I would be one of those that they would give as a recommendation. And so I'm asked to give a recommendation. I'm asked to fill out a form. I'm asked to uh, write a letter of recommendation. That's mentioned in our passage this morning in perhaps an unusual way that may strike your attention as we notice it. Let's go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start off in uh, page, I think, 953 in your church Bible. I think that's the right page. We'll begin reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. Authentic discipleship in us and through us by God's Spirit involves the making of discipleship. The making of disciples by the Spirit growing us more and more like Christ. The first three verses, making disciples. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul takes this idea of letters of recommendation. He said, we don't need that. 
That's not a prideful statement on Paul's part. You see, there's been, a, there's been some distance, some relational distance has occurred between Paul and this church. And, and Paul is working very hard to restore that relationship because he wants them to be in fellowship together. He knows that there are things they need from him. And he, like a, a parent with children who have, in a sense, uh, maybe adult children have kind of gone their own way and, and, and chased other priorities for a while, longs to again be walking together with them, wants them to be of one heart and one mind together around the gospel and the person of Jesus. And so Paul's heart is kind of like that. Maybe if you're, if you're, if you're that parent and you've experienced that, or, or maybe as an adult uh, child, you, there's distance over the years that has crept in between you and your parents. You can identify with some of that tension. And there are others that have come along and have, and have taken a place of leadership among this church. Others that they look up to instead. People that had some reputation. They came with some credentials or some recommendations of others. Maybe, in fact, they were like that celebrity who later comes to faith in Christ. And because of their celebrity, they are held up in the church. This is somebody we should listen to. This is somebody who could really advance the gospel to others. This is somebody who could represent the truth of Christ especially well because of the celebrity status that they have. And oftentimes we will lift that somebody up and we'll, we'll, we'll put them on a platform in ways that are not helpful for them in ways that actually can become a hindrance to their growth in faith because it's based on that celebrity status that they had before that they were somebody outside of Christ. Maybe somebody was a, a well-known Greek orator after the, after the um, practice of the day where emotions were manipulated and stories were told in a particular way that, that grabbed hold of an audience and moved them along and that was highly valued in the culture. And so when that person came to Christ, oh, they were somebody. And, and Paul was just sort of Paul. And one, one place in, in his exchanges between uh, he and the Corinthian church, um, he, he quotes them as saying that, you know, Paul, his, his, um, his, his, his appearance, when he comes, his speaking, you know, it's, it's really not nothing, anything to really focus on or talk about. You know, his appearance is not very impressive. He didn't fit that mold. And yet he says, we don't need letters of recommendation. We don't need credentials. Remember when I was when I was when I was looking at going to seminary, got, uh, sensing God's call in that direction, and I agonized over which school I should go to. There was one particular school that I, I really wanted to go to, and it was a very well-known school, and particularly in terms of Bible languages, that was the place to go in, in sort of the church circles that I was in. People really looked up to. And that was my hesitancy. Because I knew my own heart. I knew my pride. And I knew that um, I wanted to be affirmed by others. And uh, so I was afraid. I thought maybe I should go to a, a less-known school, a place that nobody has heard of. That'll help to guard my own heart from the pride of who I am because of uh, where I went. Well, along the way, I realized, you people just don't care. <laughs> you don't. 
It's a silly thing that people in seminary worry about, you know, where I went, what degree I got, and my grade, I graduated. Well, you don't care. Nobody ever asked me anymore. It's so frustrating. You work so hard and nobody cares. And that's a good thing. It really is. I remember one, one line Paul says. He says, I will not have anyone think more of me than what they see in me. And that's the heart of this passage. He says, you are my letters of recommendation. What he's saying there is when it's all said and done, it will not matter how large your bank account was. It will not matter the title underneath or at the end of or before your name. It will not matter the status you have achieved in the community or in church circles. What will matter is how did God use you in the lives of others? That's the only thing it'll matter. And it may be that nobody else notices that, but God does. Remember Hebrews 6 says, he is not unjust that he would forget your work and labor of love and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And what Paul says here is, I don't need letters of, from anybody that document and strengthen and fill out my resume. He says, you are my letters. The fruit of his gospel ministry was they heard and they believed and they grew. Now think about this for a minute. If you wanted to hold up as an example of your effectiveness in ministry, setting, uh, pointing out to a, a, um, a church that was a good and a godly and a vibrant church, you want to know about my ministry? Look at these folks. These are the folks that are a testimony of my ministry. Would you hold up the Corinthian church as you know them to be? Talk about as imperfect and incomplete and, and still needing to mature church, that was Corinth. And yet Paul says, through me, the grace of God is doing its work even in a place like Corinth that was considered one of the most ungodly corners of the world. And he said, look what the gospel is doing even there and among you. His testimony his validity as a servant of the Lord who walked with Christ is that God used him and worked through him in the lives of others. We can give ourselves, folks, to a lot of things. We can try to become somebody in all kinds of ways. We're careful about what brands we wear, what styles we clothe ourselves with. We, we, uh, we are careful even about the public persona we put out there. Should I say this on Facebook or not? What will people think of it? Will they like it or not? We, we begin to think of who we are in terms of what we present that is then liked and affirmed by others. Social media is simply the newest way of doing that, but we've been responding to peer pressure and shaping ourselves to fit the expectations of others for a long time. Facebook simply shows it out there for all that it really is, where we put things out there based on if others are going to like it or not. We are crowd-defined. 
Our identity is defined by what others, the crowd, will say or like. Uh, I call it a democratic identity. Think of it. The choices that I make, the things that I do and don't do based on the likes of others. When all that I do really ought to be shaped and determined by this one thing. The purposes of Christ for me and in me. What will matter, not, not merely most, but what will matter only at the end of it all was Christ's work in me and Christ working through me in the discipling of others. We think of, okay, I've been saved in Christ. I have a home in heaven for all eternity. My sin is forgiven. My eternity is secure. And yet we know that now is then the time to grow into that new life. And yet as as American individuals, we still want to shape that in ways that are centered around me and how I will grow. And yet we will not grow individually. We will not grow in isolation. We grow as we give ourselves away for the sake of others because we are growing into the likeness of Christ, as we'll even see at the end of this chapter. And growing into the likeness of Christ means giving ourselves away in the ministry too, in the service of others. I can't do that on my own. I can't do that by myself. I cannot, I cannot serve others without being with others. So you'll see that growth, discipleship, is, is in the making of disciples. I am growing as I'm growing others. You discover this in life, in parenting. I've heard it said that, that a person doesn't really grow up in, until they help somebody else to grow up. And that doesn't mean you'll, you'll all be parents yourself. In fact, there's a wonderful woman of God in, in Beter, India, Met her a couple of times, and some of you have met her as well. Her name is Christina Paul, and she has remained single, contrary to the normal culture patterns in India. Her, she, she did not have her family arrange a marriage for her. She has remained single, and she is a wonderful woman. But she has devoted herself in the pattern in the Indian church. She has, she has made herself a deaconess in terms of being devoted to the ministry, and this in a Christian school. Where, where she looks after these students that come to the village, and they, in a sense, become her children. They stay at this, at this school. We have bought Christmas dresses for all of these girls one year, our church. This is the school that we sent the sweaters to for all the children last year. And she has devoted herself to. None of these are her children. And yet all of them become children in whom her life becomes somewhat stamped upon theirs as she has given her life, devoted herself to helping these children grow in their faith in Christ and how he will use them in the world. So whether they're your children or somebody else's children, whether they're people in your family or the broader family of Christ, but we grow as we help others to grow. That's how it happened. Paul says the badge of his apostleship, his servanthood is found in the changes God has worked by his spirit in the lives of others through him. Making disciples. Where, how, with who are you growing together with others, helping others also to grow in the body of Christ? 
You cannot live the Christian life as it is intended in isolation. It is not an individual sport. We grow as we, as we are making disciples with others in the body of Christ. You say, well, I'd like to be more involved. I'd like to be involved in the life of others, but, but pastor, you don't know me. You don't know all that's going on in my own life. You don't know what a mess I really am, and so I, I just can't I do, maybe someday, but just not yet, not now. I've, I'm disqualified. I'm not ready. I don't know all kinds. I, I'm a mess. If you really knew that, pastor, well, let me, let me relieve you of a burden this morning, okay? I already know. You see, I, I know about you. I know that you're a mess. I do. I know that I'm a mess. That's why we desperately need a Savior. Sure, we're a mess. Let's admit that right up front. <laughs> People say Jesus is a crutch. I'm not a cripple. I'm a basket case. It pieces of me all over the place. That's why I need him. And I am then very well fit, knowing my need, knowing our need. I can come alongside you, and with the best of humility, we can walk toward Christ and with Christ together. You see? That awareness that I messed up is one of the essential qualifications for ministry. The awareness that I don't have it all together. I don't know even what tomorrow's going to bring. Tyler wasn't sure about going to India with me because I couldn't really tell him, you know, what exactly are we going to do there? What's this really going to be for? Why, in fact, really was he going? I said, I don't know. That's real leadership. That was confidence-inspiring. And yet I'd experienced that in the previous trip that I didn't know exactly. I knew the Lord had me going, but I didn't know exactly what it was for. I found out along the way. And again, with, with, with Tyler and I this time, we knew some aspects of why we were going and what it might look like and, and what we'd be involved in. And yet the real essential purpose of why we went, God only revealed that along the way as we were there. As we were willing to take that step and go forward trusting him, he opened up what it was really all about. And thank you, Jesus. So you say, well, I'd like to, but who am I? And it is not by I, it is by his spirit. Look at verse four. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. He's made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You see, I could look at myself and say, I don't measure up yet. I'm not perfect yet. I still struggle with this or that. There is still some sin in my life. I catch myself doing these things and, and I hate it. Welcome to Paul's world. That's Romans chapter 7. If you're going to try to live by law and fill all the squares and get your life perfectly ordered and think, then I'll be ready as a disciple to disciple others, Oh, we're going to be waiting a long time because it's going to happen. In fact, that's not what the law does. The law will never bring you to completion. A list of the things you're supposed to do will never bring you to perfection. Look at verse 7. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Look at verse 7. We make disciples by the Spirit, 
growing more into Christ's image, but not by law. Look at the difference between the law and the spirit. As, as we look at these verses, let me give you a little background. Exodus 34, I think it is, describes how Moses, when Moses is with the Lord, and the Lord gives him the commandments, and then as Moses spends time daily in the tabernacle, in the presence of God, when Moses comes back out from the presence of God, his face is glowing. It's like your worst imaginable case of sunburn. I mean, his face is just shining. And the Israelites are like, whoa, look at that. Watch out. Is, like, is this a radiation thing? You know, what's going on with your face, Moses? And so because it was very disturbing to the Israelites, and they would draw away from him because his face was just shining. And he put a veil over his face. And yet that glory would fade. It didn't stay. That's okay. The next day he'd go in the tent and he'd get his face recharged again. And he come back out. It's kind of like your daily devotions, right? You spend a little time with the Lord and his word, and your face gets recharged. And the next morning you wake up again. You look in the mirror and you say, man, I need some devotions again here. It's not looking good, right? Okay, well, that's what's going on here. That daily, his face would glow, but then it would fade. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death, that's what, that's what Paul calls the law. He calls it a ministry of death. If it was carved in letters of stone, yeah, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? If the law, the ministry of the law, so changed Moses' countenance, how will the ministry of the Spirit change your life? Look at verse 9. Here's this, this contrast continues. 9 and 10. The, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, that's law, the ministry of righteousness, the new covenant, far exceeds it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, Mosaic covenant law, has come to have no glory at all because of the surpassing glory. The glory that surpasses it. Look at verse 11. What was being brought to an end came with glory, much more that which is permanent will have glory. So Paul is doing this contrast between Mosaic covenant and new covenant. The operation of the law, which could only point out sin, which could only show what we must do that we cannot measure up to. As compared to the ministry of the new covenant, the spirit who now lives within us and writes the law of God, Jeremiah 31 says, on our own hearts. He takes out our heart of stone, is the words Jeremiah 31 uses, probably thinking back to Moses and the law, and he puts within us a soft and tender heart of flesh which, which responds to the spirit. And so this Christian life is not lived by, by keeping lists and rules and law and trying to manage sin. It is lived by the life of God, by his spirit within us that forms us more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. It is not me, it is God's work in me. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are bold confident. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, fading away, but their minds were hardened. 
To this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the law, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is the veil taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. What Paul's talking about is still when the Jewish people of his day in the first century, they would read the law and they say, hey, we are God's people. We have got God's law and we're reading it and, and trying to live in it. And he said they can't see Christ through their own attempts to be good on their own. For their own attempts to, and, and the world is still full of people doing the same thing. Having their own idea, possibly, of what it is that God expects of them. And if I live a pretty good life, then God will be fairly pleased with me. If the good is more than the bad, then that'll be enough in God's eyes. And so desperately trying to be good enough and somehow measure up to some standard that we create in ourselves. And yet, because of a standard we're trying to measure up to, we do not see or trust Christ who is righteous for us. Trying to be it myself. But verse 16, when one turns the Lord to the Lord, the veil is removed. The Lord is a spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. No more this weight of trying to do. There's a, there's a hymn, and a, a poem that I, I quote fairly frequently. I, 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 I probably told it to you before. It says, run, run, and do. The law commands. But it gives me neither feet nor hands. A better thing the gospel brings. It bids me. Fly, and it gives me wings. The gospel of Jesus Christ not only invites me to soar beyond this mortal humanity, but he gives me the ability, the strength, the enablement by the Spirit of God within me to do and to be far beyond what I could be in my mortal abilities, in my broken fleshliness. Verse 18 says that we all then with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another and this comes by the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God in us. The Spirit of God for us. That, that we have a boldness that Moses didn't even have. One, one commentator on this whole section, he says that the church of Christ, those who believe in Jesus, they are called to be, think of it this way, a new and better Moses. You thought, well, who am I to serve the Lord? Who am I to do this or that? I'm not able to do that. That's just what Moses said. You remember that, the burning bush? God calls him and he says, well, you know, can't you send somebody else? You know, I'm not really good at speaking, God. You know, I'm a, I'm a stutterer. I'm a stammerer. And I say, hey, wait a minute. That's my excuse. That's my story. When I was in high school, I learned not to talk because I couldn't even finish a sentence without locking up in a stammer. And it wasn't just that I couldn't talk anymore. My mouth would lock open. I'd be standing there with my mouth stuck open, not be able to finish the word. Can you imagine that in high school? That's a way a kid learns to stop talking pretty quickly, I tell you. And yet, oh, I know I'm not the best preacher around, but I can finish a sentence now. You say, yeah, you have trouble finishing a sermon, but I can finish a sentence now, okay? I understand Moses's. I understand Moses's objection. Who am I that God would use me? Send somebody, anybody else. Send my brother Mo Aaron, he says. Aaron's better than I. And God says, I'll send you. 
And God says, I'll send you. I'll do you one better than Moses. Moses, I gave the law. That was nothing compared to what he says he'll do for you. He will put the spirit of the living God within us. You're saying, yeah, there's things that need to be done. There's places of ministry and serving. There's, there's involvement in the life of somebody. Somebody needs to come beside this person. Or the, but who am I? I couldn't do that. Those words, I couldn't do that, are not new covenant words. Those are old covenant words. Those are law-based words. Those are flesh, humanity-based words. But they are not spirit of the living God words. The spirit of the living God words are, by the grace of God, I will. Spirit of the living God words are, here am I, send me. Lord, what would you have me to do and what will you give me the grace to serve you in? Lord, where you lead, I'll follow. Because I can't trust myself, but I can trust you. That's the spirit of the living God within. Who's sufficient for these things? None of us. But the spirit of the living God within us. And the spirit of the living God is transforming us. Did you catch that last verse? Verse 18. We all with unveiled face. The veil is pulled away. And we see Jesus as he really is. There's the essence of ministry. Seeing Christ. And those whom you want to see him will not see him unless the veil is pulled away. So before we talk to people about God, we talk to God for people. We pray, we say, God, open their eyes that they might see your son Jesus and all he's done for us. Open their eyes that they might see those same wonderful words, those wonderful things in your word that we see when we open the pages and we see Christ there. And as we see him, as that Reality of who Jesus is grabs hold of our heart. It has its shaping influence. And if we are growing and strengthening in Christ, we will find his family likeness as children of God showing up in our own lives and spilling over from us into the lives of people around us. And so what he then uses out of us and into the lives of others is the same work of the Spirit in us, changing us and overflowing into others around us. And so we find ourselves step by step, not perfection all at once, not complete transformation just like that. No, he who began a work in you, Paul says, will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ. You and I are God's work in progress. You say, well, what comes next? When's God going to do the next thing? When's the next step of change and transformation? Well, I don't know. But it'll probably involve a little bit of risk. It'll probably involve you again saying, I will trust you. It'll probably involve you again stepping out and in some way giving something of yourself away for the sake of others. I know folks right here in this congregation are doing that. I know there's a young family that at the end of the service we're going to pray for that are taking the next step in, Lord, what would you have us to do and how will you be shaping us for that? And we're going to pray for them. 
as they step into what could be seemingly a very difficult thing, yet at the same time will be easy and joyous even in the midst of the difficulty if the Spirit of God leads them there and is with them there. Even in, as aspects of some of the things we were in the midst of in India were very difficult situations. And yet look what the Lord would be pleased to do for us. New covenant ministry, new covenant discipleship is God's work in us and through us by his spirit. It is making disciples. It is, it is being involved in God's shaping in the lives of others, not by my own abilities, but by God's spirit. And as I give myself away for others and their life and their growth, I find the likeness of Christ being more and more completed even in me. One of the things that uh, thrilled me in our visit to India was not only uh, what we ourselves saw, but what we heard from others about one of the men that we were with and, and served with. His name is Robert Diana, and he's, he's the leader of the Bible Training for Church Pastors Project. He's a young man himself. In many ways, you'd say he's way out of his depth, but God has equipped and gifted and, and raised up. I'm, I'm convinced this, this young man for such a time as this, and uh, um, I, 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 I see things in him. But more and more, even as Paul says in chapter 1, hearing that testimony from others of how he has been used in their life, in strengthening their faith, in growing them up. We, over and over, we kept running into new people. And, and he, had, he had been used by God to put God's fingerprints in their lives. I hope that you can even think of right now some folks that you've had the privilege of might be children, they might be youth, they might be adults, but there are people that God has used you in his work in their own lives. And my prayer is, God, would you do that still? Would you do that again? Would you do that more? Would each one of us have the joy of now and again getting a glimpse of not only what God is doing in us, but what God is doing through us for the eternal benefit of others. We're going to approach this table here in just a moment. I'm going to invite the, invite the worship team to come back up, those who are serving to come up. And as we take this table, this table, of course, is founded. This is a new covenant celebration. Jesus says this, this body, this cup, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, he says, and his blood given for us. And that new covenant includes the forgiveness of our sin through Jesus who died for us and rose again. But it's more than that. It's the new covenant that because our sin is removed and we are now in full fellowship with God, that he would send his spirit even into our own hearts that he would live in us and through us, that his spirit in that closest relationship with us, indwelling and filling, would work out a likeness of Christ in our own lives and would use us in God's greatest work of sharing the redemption in Christ with others. And so if your faith is in Christ, 
you believe him as your savior who died for your sins, I invite you to celebrate at his table the forgiveness of your sin. And I also invite you to celebrate the fact that God would use you as ministers of his new covenant to others. Perhaps you say, well, I don't know if I'm sufficient for that. I don't know if I belong at this table at all. Right now, right where you are, you could receive Jesus Christ as your own Savior. Say, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sin, for my guilt. I believe that I am fully forgiven and accepted into God's presence. Not by what I do, but because of what Jesus did for me. I accept that gift of forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus' name. And as simple as that, right where you are, you could then join us at this table celebrating eternal life in Christ that is more than just a home in heaven. It is his life today in the midst of this world.